2: women's football, Euro final England versus Germany, Wembley, sold out stadium and then to go on and win it it was just insane A lot of the chatter afterwards was I really hope it's not the ACL, I hope it's everything else. I'd worked in the Olympic and Paralympic system for a number of years, no one had ever said the word periods, no one had talked about menstrual cycles. I've totally subscribed to best person for the job but often the best person for the job could well be a female but society isn't ready for that yet
3: All I'm saying is that everybody should know how to swim. I can't fathom how you can try and say that that is troublemaking or anything like that. Every time I hear somebody talk about investing in women's sport and talking about it as if it's some sort of donation (laughs) or like (laughs) charity. You're welcome. It's just such a weird way to tell me that you're bad at business.
1: I'm Sam Quack and welcome to the Telegraph Women's Sport podcast. With women's sport enjoying a higher profile than ever before, we want to shine a light on important topics in this space, and I'll be joined by people from various spheres to discuss them. In this episode, we're talking about coaching. We all recognise the importance of good, quality coaching in sport, whether in guiding youngsters at the start of their sporting journeys or helping elite athletes as they challenge for trophies and medals. I know all too well the impact of both. I'm joined by three people to discuss all facets of coaching. First up, we have a talented fly half in her playing days. Giselle Mather was part of England's Rugby World Cup winning squad in 1994. She enjoyed plenty of success in coaching too, both in women's and men's rugby, and was the first woman to earn the RFU's Level 4 coaching badge, as she's been involved at London Irish, Wasps, and now Ealing Trailfinders. Hello, Giselle. Hello, thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on for now you are at Ealing Trail Finders it's in its infancy tell us why you were recruited there and what your role is please because it all sounds very exciting
2: it, it is it's it's a brand new challenge for me as well because it's a completely new team that's going into the Premier 15s which is the top domestic league in the women's game so I have had the they, they recruited me last September and sort of Three stages I put it into as I sat down and looked at the the, the challenge. Stage one went from September to December where I had to put the bid together to convince the RFU that Ealing Trailfinders was a team they wanted in the Premier 15s. Um, And that's looking at all the minimum operating standards and how you're going to build it, the resources you've got, the amount of staff you're going to have, just the whole environment that you're going to set up. So we had to bid for that in December, and we were granted that, which then put me into Stage 2. Stage 2 is about recruiting 45 athletes and a whole staff team. And obviously in rugby, the 45 athletes, it's also the player profile. So you've got to go from your props to your wingers. Mm. You've got to have... uh, Players that are not just 45 players, but players that can play at the level, and also you know the women's game has has just expanded so much, and the the standard has gone through the roof because resources been put around those athletes, so all the potential has now come flooding out. So they've got to be athletes that can play safely as well at that level. So 45 athletes. How many members of staff? Roughly? I will have five. I've got five coaching staff that will be directly involved with the team. Two two lead medics, two strength and conditioners, two analysts. Uh, team manager so it's just so it's building it's a massive team yeah. isn't it but a team oh, behind the team huge and a great internet. investment from Ealing Trail well this is it so I used to be I used to be director of rugby at Wasps and at, for five years there I was the only full time member of staff I had wonderful staff wow. around me but they were sessional staff so coming in so when they're in they need to be in front of players so this is different now I'll have the planning and the opportunity to to really bounce ideas off of loads of other people and
1: it's just, I, I just can't wait Perfect guest then for this pod on coaching, isn't it? Here we go. Wealth of it. There we go. Okay, well, our next guest comes from the world of football, Willie Kirk. He was in charge of Herbanian women when they won trophies in 2010 and 2011 and has worked in the Women's Super League with Bristol City, Everton and now Leicester. In the season just finished, she oversaw a remarkable turnaround as Leicester recovered from having zero points at Christmas to avoid relegation. Willie, I mean, I presume your phone is ringing, especially the men's team. Can I say that? <laughs> they got relegated from the Premier League. But you worked your magic. How did you go from naught points at Christmas to, to staying up?
4: Yeah, I think I think it was just about making lots of little changes. Ended up making a big difference. And we had a big focus on like environment and culture. And we recruited really well in January. And it all seemed to fall into place. And uh, it was a really positive second half of the season.
1: So what's uh, your off-season now? Any big plans? Any big signings on the horizon?
4: The off-season, yeah, it's just recruitment. Uh, so we obviously, we've obviously we finished that season on a positive. Uh, 12 have now left the club. And That's a lot. Yeah, so it yeah, is literally
1: it's a, a big turnover.
4: It is a lot. We're looking to bring in 10 new players, oh. or up to 10 players. So yeah, it's pretty much just recruitment before trying to get a holiday.
1: And where do those players come from? Is it international? Is it youth set-up?
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a mix. We're trying to get a balance between players that are going to the World Cup and players that aren't, so we can get them in at the start of pre-season. Try to get a balance between experience and youth. And also the balance between players that already know the WSL and players that will be new to the WSL. So, yeah, it's just try, a lot of spinning plates just now. And uh, we just try to get a few over the line as quickly as possible.
1: And like Giselle said about the investment coming from the club, Leicester have invested quite heavily then to be able to make those moves to some big players, international players or players in the WSL who are looking to change teams? Because ultimately they need to, to be paid well to perform well.
4: Yeah, definitely. It's it's a huge investment from, from the club and I don't know how much you know about it, but it's like the King Power group that own the men's club and the King Power group own us. So we're not reliant on, obviously, it was unfortunate the men got relegated, but it never affected us directly because like we're both owned by the same group, but the men don't own us, so to speak. So... That's been a big commitment from the club, and, and I think that dates back to a few years ago when the women were gifted the men's old training ground. So mm. we've got our own training ground, which I think makes a huge difference to what you can do with your players and staff. Mm. And and that 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 commitment from the club has continued, and, and they're very ambitious. And and the Thai the Thai family that own King Power want us to try and replicate what the men did uh, previously. You know, getting Champions League and and competing for cups.
1: Yeah, getting trophies. Well, uh, welcome. Thank and we'll you. hear more from your experience later on. Last but not least is our third guest, uh, Abby Johnson, a community cricket coach. She's been coaching since she was 14 years old at her local club, Louth, and also works part time in the county setup with Lincolnshire. She's continued to coach alongside her studies. She is completing a master's in biomedical science and is also caring for her mother while she underwent cancer
3: treatment. Hello, Abby. Hello.
1: Thanks for coming in. First of all, how's your mum?
3: She's doing really well now, thank you. Good yeah, in remission, so. Awesome all all got the all clear. But yeah. fabulous, fabulous, fabulous,
1: and also a master's in biomedical science. What's that entail? That's a takes up a lot of time,
3: I bet. It does. It's very intense, but I love it. I love science, always have done, and, um, yeah, I just love that degree. So.
1: And what is it you want to go on and do in that, in that Um,
3: If I was to stick with the science route and not go with the sports route, I'd like to be a cancer genomicist, so a clinical scientist.
1: Mm. And is that inspired by your mum's journey?
3: Yeah, somewhat, yeah. And oh, uh, I had a really good supervisor at my undergrad, so okay. that was sort of her kind of thing as well, and I just I find it really interesting.
1: Incredible! Yeah. You're an incredible person. I'm clearly multi-talented, but if you were to get a career in sports, because mm. with coaching you're so passionate about it, what would that be? What would it look like?
3: I'd always like to do the coaching, um, but I'd like to go sort of more down the sports development route, whether that's in cricket or other sport, because it's that if you can get it right at grassroots and providing the right opportunities for participation, you can really just build builds up throughout the whole sort of setup. Um, yeah to having strong sides all the way through. So. Well,
1: you're in the thick of it now, in the thick of summer cricket season. Are you busy? What are you currently up to?
3: I'm pretty busy, yeah. So, obviously, I'm working part-time, but um, we've got, like, three or four games a week at the moment with the with the girls, and uh, it's a lot, but it's really good fun. So. What age groups? Uh, so, Under-13s, 15s, 18s, and then we've had the women at the start of the season.
1: Right, but, so yeah. a proper mix, then, isn't it, of experience,
3: ages? Yeah. And- our our under-18s are really... At the sort of peak of their their game at this point, and obviously they've had exams, so we're going to look forward to them sort of the second half of the summer. But with the stress free, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they should be able to play quite, yeah, stress free and be really free in their cricket. But the thirteens, obviously, like we've only had them for one winter, and they're all very young, and it's just exciting for them. So, well,
1: we're going to talk about coaching journeys uh, just now. So continue that then, because you're talking about thirteen-year-olds there, but you started yours when you were fourteen. Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, so not
1: a lot of people would say that. <laughs> Tell, tell us a bit about where it started. It's just
3: you. Um, when I was at school, I'd just done my UK sports leaders, and uh, one of the teachers was the cricket coach at the club. and I knew him already. He said, Oh, I'm doing a couple of nights after school with some like five or six year olds. Do you want to help out? I'm like, Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> like, it'll be you had to do like your voluntary hours anyway, but I was like, Yeah, that'll be great. And it's just started from there, really. I mean, just did that with the club supporting the coaches for four years. I couldn't do my level two cricket qualification until I was 18 so as soon as I was 18 I did that and then I was able to run sides by myself and the first side that I ran was an under 11 team so I just got my coaching badge and yeah they were all like under 8s apart from one who was 10 And How
1: old were you when when you were coaching that team? So I
3: was yeah just That's 18 top. yeah. Right and had a whole season with them and that was great. And that's that was sort of like the kickoff of their like actually running aside and communicating with the parents. And I know it's only, you know, community cricket, but that was that was a big part. But alongside that, I was supporting our women's team. So I was running that, coaching that and just being a part of it. So
1: Yeah. Did you ask Giselle? When you look at your CV, what you've achieved, who you've played for. I think you've probably experienced all different parts of the sport. Where did your coaching uh path starts was it after your playing career or sort of through it so
2: so from the age of nine I knew I wanted to be a PE teacher so I I, I took that route all the way through I I remember my father at one point said no no no, I I don't think you want to do that you know as parents do he said I think I think you should go into law or be a barrister or something so from nine to 14 I went all right I'll be a PE teacher or a barrister (laughs) and then at 14 I turned to him I said can we stop this now I'm going to be a PE teacher (laughs) so yeah so um I went and did all of that so then when I taught for about fourteen years through my playing career, and then did the badges as you go through. So I'd already like was level three qualified before I finished playing, and then that transition. So organizing a session and doing things like that was yeah, that's the bread and butter of it. Mm-hmm. But um, when I finished playing, I knew I I still loved the sport. I love team sport. I love the dynamics of that many people interacting and trying to get the best from it. So around 2000 England development side needed they needed a coach to take them to the Europeans. so they just looked at me and said oh can you do that I was like oh my god men's so, or women's 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 yeah I just had my first child so at eight months old he was and my husband was going to America that week with his work so I had to take the little one with me and the head coach of England at the time said have you ever taken a tour away like this I went no he said Sit down. We need to have a chat. <laughs> and thank God his name his name was Jeff Richards and he still mentors me now. To be fair, but he he just if he hadn't done that, I think it would have it would have been catastrophic. I really. think. But he just sat down and said, right, this is what will happen here, this will happen there. And, and back in those days, we had three games in nine days. So I mean, rugby now you think that you mm-hmm. know player welfare, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But anyway, he sat me down and just explained what would happen where. And sure enough, I remember after the second game we'd played it. Baby had woken up, fed him. It was two o'clock in the morning. He's in the rocker top. I've got my right foot on the top, doing that while I'm there. I'm analyzing the game, so I've got to present at nine o'clock in the morning to the players about what happened, doing all these things going on and I just thought if he hadn't warned me about this, yeah i would this would have been stressful, but because I knew this he'd said this is what will happen, and this is how it will happen and And he was absolutely right. so do you think had he not done that, you could
1: have just gone oh, to could to have been, watch me i can't, I can't oh,
2: you just wouldn't have been prepared would you, and mm. i think I think when you when you know that something's going to be difficult you have a different mindset to it you're ready for it you've prepared for it and it's not a shock I think shocks are where you can derail and react differently to how you should but if you've kind of gone right so this is going to be a pressure point this will be a pressure point this will be they don't become pressure points so much anymore so he really prepared me for that but I got back 10 days later and obviously the the eight-month-old once the players had had their breakfast they'd take the baby and I would have mine so he had like
1: Oh, wow 30 months so it was on tour. probably embrace them wasn't it oh, absolutely absolutely because so I, can, I can imagine even now it wouldn't be embraced it, it taking has a moments baby. there yeah. are
2: some that do and some that don't in insides later on in in thing when I had more kids it it wasn't but at that time it was it was fine and um but he got tall blues when we got back ten, 10 days away and he was like where is everybody where is everyone but no it was a fabulous experience I loved it and thought yeah this is what I want to do so nice
1: so one of your main philosophies would be to be prepared would you say absolutely know what you've got going.
2: absolutely i've been coaching now years and years i never i've never taken the field whether i'm coaching the little ones the big ones whatever without the preparation beforehand because the the athletes like some of the obviously the the games now developed and the athletes now are, are remunerated but early days they weren't so they're giving up so much of their own time why would i not prepare for an athlete that turns up yeah. giving up so much of their time, they need something out of this, that's definitely one of them but the other, I think that my core being with it is is human being before athlete and if you look after that side of things and you look after the person and you understand how that person is and how they function, then the rest of it follows after that so all things come back to me for human being before mm. athlete
1: You're nodding away though, Willie?
4: Yeah, it's so important to get the best out of those mm. to get the best out of your athlete, you have to look after them as a, as a human and I think that's always been the case. Whether working at the very start with we, we young young lads who are trying to make make pro contracts, mm. or we're going into the women's game, where you know I've I've went from working with boys under seventeens. Mm.
1: So is that where your coaching career started? Yeah, I started. North, north of the border. Yeah, north of the
4: border. Started with Livingston and yep. their boys academy, fourteens, 15s, 17s, and then went to Hibs, uh, Hibernian.
1: Did it's, you always know you wanted to be a coach because you were a player yourself, weren't you? I
4: just played semi pro, and I don't know what it was. I, I always preferred playing football manager over FIFA, so I always, really? I always preferred being in control of the team rather All than right. playing in the team. <laughs> so, so that's where I started. I think that's where the whole gaming well,
1: console management
4: <laughs> coaching thing came from. Uh, yeah. And then I started doing my coaching badges when I was still playing, and I just really fortunate opportunity to go into Livingston. I was 29, I think, and one of my best mates' uh, brothers were coaching, and he was an ex-pro player, so. Mm they got jobs quite easily in boys academy and it was a club Livingston small resources and they said would you fancy coming in and helping me one night a week and I went and I said well if I'm going to do it I'll do it properly I'll come in both nights and I just loved it mm-hmm. and then I only I combined both that and playing for six months and then I wasn't enjoying playing so I stopped playing at 29 and just went into coaching and it just really started for them. and few different age groups at the boys. And again, like fortunate, Livingston were skint. They had no money, no resource. And they were losing youth coaches. Mm. And within six months of coaching, I had my Mm. own team. Because the 14s coach went to 15s, and I was given the 14s myself. So really fortunate, but learnt so much. And never actually realised how much I was learning at the time. Moved clubs to Hibs. Uh, Boys, 17s. You've got, you know, these... 16. When you say
1: moved clubs, is that because you were approached, because yeah. you were doing a good job? or Well, yeah, I must have been doing choice?
4: something, I must have been doing something right. But uh, yeah, somebody asked me to go and work work at Hibs, who were quite renowned for their, their youth development. You know, your Scott Browns, your Kevin Thompsons, your Stephen Whittakers had all come through. And uh, I got asked to go there and I jumped at it and I went from working with like 18, 16-year-old boys to the women's team, where you had a 16-year-old girl and a 35-year-old woman. (laughs) And the learning behind that was just massive.
1: So what was, before you get to the coaching of the women, what was the point that you thought, oh, I'm going to go and try the women's side of things?
4: My partner at the time was working away for the summer, so I had nothing to do. The boys stopped in May. I had nothing to do. And the women's season at the time was summer so March to November. Right. Or, no, they were doing a mini-season. The boys' academy coach, who was the interim head coach of the women, I said to him, look, if you need any help, I've got nothing on during the summer, I'll go and help you. And I went to a training session and it was horrendous. I was like, why have, why have I said I would do this? It was terrible. No why? Just the standard was terrible, the players' attitudes were terrible. On a Tuesday, they would turn up if they wanted to. A Thursday, they had to be there because it dictated team selection on a Sunday. I was like, what am I doing here? And then uh, I stuck with it because I told him I would. And then he asked me to go to a game. He said, could you help out on Sunday for the actual game? I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, I went to the game and it was completely different. Like, it was it was like, I could not recognise these human beings. Really? Because it was just like they came to life. They just and,
2: wanted to play. Yeah, and what,
4: what I, what I realised was they could not find the correlation between training and playing. They just what It was almost like because because the women's game in Scotland was very much recreational, like the players signed the players. So suddenly I, I understood it, and I got I got the training side of it. I'm like, right, well we can actually help them a lot here if, if they can understand, like performance improvements. So, Not a lot
1: of people would take that mindset. A lot of people go, oh, they just can't be bothered training. I'm off.
4: Yeah, well, stuck with it. What What happened was I, I I I continued for the rest of that mini season. The boys had started back, and then they asked me if I wanted to do it. Permanently? So I, um, I don't think so because I'm only like, a couple of steps away for the men's first team here. So we played a cup final against Glasgow City and we got beat, and I absolutely hated it. I detested getting beat in a cup final. And in boys' youth development, it wasn't about cup finals or league titles or anything. It was just about developing players, which I enjoyed. But I'd done it for three years, four years, so losing that cup final was a catalyst for me to go into the women's game because I thought no, I will do this mm. and that was the start of it and I've never well I dipped my toe back into the men's game for 6 months about 5 years after that and I've been in the women's game since
1: nice we're going to I think we'll talk a little bit more in a, in a bit about the difference between coaching men and women because I can imagine that's a, a fascinating insight but as like you've just been nodding along there saying that they they just wanted to play like they didn't want they didn't want to train so from your experience in coaching, how do you marry those two two things together, where you get your players to perform
2: I think as the, well as
1: they do in, tra- in matches?
2: Well, I, th- I think the whole when you take on a new team, whether whatever level, whatever gender, it doesn't matter, whatever sport, it's about finding out first and foremost why everybody's there, why have they joined this team, why are they part of this team, why are they, why do they want to play? And when you find out what that is, you then going on that so for example when I took on Teddington men's team they were senior men's team playing about this must have been level 8, 9 of the, the the men's game they just loved each other's company that was what it was about and you watched it and thought okay fine so they also loved a good drink that was part of being part yeah. of their company and what have you but they were some pretty talented individuals in, in that and I was like this they're just a complete Shower of whatever all over the place. But if they have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, they also trained for body beautiful as opposed
1: to sport. Does that make sense? They were young, young men who were.
2: Anyway, like Willie,
1: you've got, I presume you're in in a minute, you've got to see that potential to take it on. Yeah. Is that right? So,
2: yes. Well, I did two guest sessions first because, and again, when I turned up female to the male, they'd never been coached by a female before. So I just said, I was rung up saying, would I consider it? And, the the I first played that was where I first found rugby at that club so I was like okay let I said right I'll come down for two just tell them it's two guest sessions because basically their coach had walked out on them in, in August so I said and I'll come and see whether I think I can make a difference or not so I went down and, and did that and what was the reaction when you walked <laughs> up okay so
1: and they saw a woman <laughs>
2: Yeah. so I can just remember it so clearly there was one guy in the group who had stencilled across his forehead what the do you know right so actually not literally no but that oh, was his oh whole, my god that's me just being his, so naive his whole attitude so his face, sorry yeah, oh his god. whole attitude was why am I in front of you
3: what, right. what, what am his, I doing here? his face said it
1: all oh, that's it yes. right okay so <laughs> I but, can't believe
2: I just said that actually <laughs> well, so I was like okay fine here we go he challenged me on a question so I answered it and then we carried on then he challenged me again so I upped the intensity did the same fella yeah yeah yeah, yeah. three times after the third time he got on with the session and and then at the end of the session he came up to me and said that's the best session I've had in years but well, initially fair enough yeah, yeah exactly so then I came down the second week to have to go again and the captain of the side had not been there the first week but had then had all the boys this is what happened so I came in and he was the first to do something that wasn't right so I immediately went no, your team stops Boa. They go 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 because we are all competing and what he was like and then his intensity went massively went right. up and then all good. And I turned to the guy afterwards and said, yeah, I can take them on. You can tell them I'm going to coach them. It's right. fine. I can see I can make a difference. And we train Tuesdays, Thursdays. And then on a Friday, they'd all meet and they'd all have a beer. And I'd be like, boys, that's got to stop. I said, by all means, go out and enjoy each other's company. But you do your drinking on the Saturday. And there was this like, whoa, this is after two years. Cause did, you
1: ever, did you ever have any anyone stand up to and say, I'm not doing that? Right. any resistance Because that Because
2: that was two years into right me coaching them.
1: Well, on, the, on the, Say, for example, even your first week. Did you ever have anyone say I'm not doing that? What do you know about rugby or that type of feeling? No. But did you feel that you had to change the you, way you held yourself or the language you used working with men?
2: To gain it's, it's not to
1: gain it, the respect, but you know, do you know what I mean? I, I believe
2: I believe that athletes need to be challenged. They need to feel they're developing, they need intensity of session, they need a lot of fun. And that's at all level. Be you the most elite Olympian to the grassroots. If they've got that and you know you're growing and developing and the ne- the reasons that you play the sport are being met the wise, which is why the, the first thing no mm. because it's when they one of those is missing that you start to get the challenge back if you're not prepared if you're not ready so when something's missing and you get challenged it's like okay what i look at it and go what's missing what right. what what is it that i'm not doing in the last cause It's never on a one-off session one-off session it's just someone is in a bad mood that's a different thing and you don't overreact to that but if it's a a, a feeling that starts to develop there's something missing, so you've got to work out what it is that's missing. But that that drinking thing, and what actually happened was, the boys would go out on Friday and they'd have a meal together, and they actually remembered what they said to each other. Because on a Saturday night, by the end of it, so what happened was they deepened their friendships, they deepened the lives that they had with each other because they were now out on a Friday there was only one player who said I'm really sorry I'll have to have a couple because I just can't do it otherwise
1: yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was not a, a... but it's different yes. and, and they changed that and obviously the performance and the results and they grew spoke for deeper themselves. as a group and their reasons why those lads now are still
2: so so tired I bet that was
1: nice sat in the stand
2: it was and, an incredible feeling incredible
1: Abby I mean, you, when you're working with youngsters, a completely different demographic, obviously, and they're not going to be wanting to get down the pub on (laughs) a Friday night, (laughs) hopefully not anyway. um, How did you manage those dynamics? Because I can imagine from 13 year olds all the way through to 18 year olds, you've got different pressures from peer pressure, exams, hormones, puberty. What were the biggest challenges that you faced and how did you manage them?
3: I mean at, at like club stuff mm-hmm. so that was a mixture of mostly boys but there were some girls playing it was always like I would never coach above under 13s really and they had respect for me because they liked me as a coach liked me as a person I never really came across any any boys or girls being like well, what you know I never was challenged as a why are you here mm-hmm. I got that respect because I don't think they care they just wanted to play cricket they just wanted someone there to look after them give them a challenge and they were happy then if they were getting the right offer and you were giving them the right thing. But the biggest ch- challenge with that would just be making sure that they had their pads on the right way and they had the helmet on. And <laughs> have you got your hat? Where's your hat gone? And like stuff like that, making sure that they've got everything out the changing rooms. The amount of stuff I used to carry around in my boot after games—it's because <laughs> just kids' things, are like oh, you know. But in terms of counting, it's only my second season with them, and the th- the thirteens. They're just like, again, still very much that, just happy to be here. Their cricket that they play is very developmental and it's about making sure everyone has a fair opportunity. Um, but how, how,
1: do you, how do you get to that point where everybody likes you? Because it's human nature that, I mean, some people like you, some people don't, and that's okay because we're all different, but how mm. do you get to the point where everyone's, everyone loves you, everyone likes to be coached by you, everybody's listening?
3: I found that at club level, it's just a case of, you know, let them have fun, be easy with them. You don't need to be... You don't need to be like a teacher. You just need to be like a facilitator, making sure that they're safe and they all have an equal opportunity, and you don't have any favourites, no obvious favourites. And whereas at county, I w- I'd be—it'd be interesting to know if actually all of the girls actually do like me. I don't think they dislike me, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's some that will prefer my my other coaches to me. Um, it's just about building those relationships and building that trust. I think. I think.
1: And at what age do they split off into boys and girls, or is it all mixed, or is it all... So
3: at club, it stays mixed, really, right. the whole way through, whereas obviously county, that is just straight up boys yeah. and girls.
1: And do you find it different coaching boys to girls? Do you take a different approach?
3: I'd say with girls, you, you have to... i found I've had to listen to them a lot more and try and build that trust before we can start implementing the changes that we want. It's, so it's almost a really given strange... a reasoning why yeah, you're changing we, or doing it. Yeah, we've been saying things. this before we started talking. It's like the context behind... I think girls need the context behind why they're doing something to actually understand it and go, OK, I'll I'll, I'll back you with this and I'll go with it. Like, it takes a while. I think mm-hmm. sort of the first half of the winter with with the girls was a challenge. Changing how we did things and they had to sort of believe it and see it. Right. And so
1: what sort of resistance would you get then?
3: Literally just be like, don't know why I'm doing this, what is the point, honestly. <laughs> and, and me and my, my head coach, Martin, were just like, what <laughs> we'd have loved this opportunity if we were at this age again and it, it's yeah just they just didn't understand why we're doing things they just wanted to like play games and we're like we need to build your skill sets up here. we need to do volume of skills and then we'll get into more game situations we're not going to be playing games because we're indoors and coaching cricket indoors to outdoors is another challenge in itself Space. it's you know it's really hard to Coach cricket in that environment, and then you go outside, and it's totally different. So, but a- after Christmas, we'd spent a lot of time with them, and I think they did start to see that when we went into those sort of match scenarios in the training, they could see that actually they had developed, and they started to then believe what we were saying. Yeah.
1: So, they almost want an explanation of why they're going to do it yeah. a roadmap, and then yeah. the destination. Yeah, is that something you found, Willie, going from working with men to women? I think so.
4: I think so a little bit. I think as people now, we're more inquisitive. I think we. We want to know why we're doing things. I think the, the difference is where it sits on your list of priorities. So for the young lads, they did it because they got told to do it and because they thought this was the way they would get their professional contracts. They still probably wanted to know why eventually... Whereas I think with the women, they they want to know why before they even do it. Mm-hmm. They've got lots of questions. Yeah, they respect your knowledge, but they want to know that you you care for them as a person mm-hmm. and that you're trying you're trying to develop them. And you know, all athletes are the same. Going back to your point, they want to enjoy it. They want to work hard. They want to improve. And and I think it doesn't matter if it's elite level or if it's grassroots level, if it's male or female. I think they want to feel as if they're improving and they want to they want to enjoy it.
1: You're going to come across, I can imagine, as well. I mean, just like you were saying, what, 45 athletes? I don't know how many, is in your, what, how many are in the squad for?
4: Between 23 and 25.
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's a lot of different people to juggle. I was in a squad one of 32, and we're all different. We all want to manage, be managed different, told when we're selected, when we are selected, all different ways. How do you juggle then a group of women who, like you say, could be you know the youngest 16 to the oldest 35? Because they've all got different life experiences, and you're one person. Do you remember each individual
4: athlete? How do you even start yeah, I think, there? I think you've got to start off with your sort of non negotiables for everybody. I think you've got to have your values that you always fall back onto. But I, th- I think you've got to treat them as individuals above that. So, you know, as long as you've got your guiding principles, I think you can, you not know, for me, I don't believe in the one rule for one, one rule for all, because everybody's got different circumstances. I could have a 21 year old from Australia. Who needs a little bit extra time off, or needs an extra couple of days at the end of an international break to see family, because it's the first time they can see them in a year. Whereas that would be different for uh, an English player who's twenty-seven, and I want them back in the building as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. But family's still really, really important to all of us. So yeah, I think as long as you've got your guiding principles, you can manage individuals slightly differently. And I think it's just—I think the skill is and experience is about how you manage those individuals on a daily basis
1: how do you find that Giselle I mean again going to individuals both from a women's perspective and a men's perspective I know being part of our squad when things weren't going great so for example in 2014 we weren't playing well as a squad we did have that culture of well why are they having the day off to go to graduation and actually I decided not to go to graduation because I think that actually it's more important for me to be here all these different values and different points of views how do you marry them all together so that the culture People realise they're all being treated fairly, even though they have different circumstances.
2: I think I think the golden nugget for me is communication. If you don't communicate, perception takes hold. Mm-hmm. That's the I thing for that's me.
1: Everything in life, yeah, isn't
2: it? Exactly. So, if I if I've given someone off the time to go to graduation, and I haven't given the time off to go somewhere to this one, I have to be open and transparent as to the wise. Now, you might not agree with. What the decision, but if you know, this is why I did this and this is why I did that. Because what happens, and I, I also think this is a difference between males and females, the, the, the lads will be annoyed about it, but then they Annoyer. might, but then off it. Whereas from the girls' p- perspective, we'll hold it and hold it and hold it because emotion gets attached to it and it needs to be, we have a bigger picture view of, of everything. It's not so, it's just how our brains work. And a lot more emotion is involved with females around issues than there are, there are with men. Again, just how the brain works and how it, the differences is between how men and women think. So the perception piece, if I, if I haven't explained that, then something else might happen to that particular athlete. Maybe they don't get even selected that week as well for some reason. The two in my mind, not connected at all. It's just that's what's happened and this has happened. But in their mind, it's like, she doesn't like me. That's the first thing because I didn't communicate, right? So then it's, she doesn't like me. And then the next week, something else, I, I still haven't picked them, okay? So then they turn to their mate and say, told you you shouldn't like me. And the mate goes, yeah, you're probably right. Mm. And now they've got a... that's a, snowballing. Right. And so now we've got little pockets going on. And all it came back to is I didn't explain why you were allowed to go to your graduation and you're not. So there's a... For me, the the, the whole thing is around communication. I call it tick TikTok tick boom. And if you don't do it... yeah. And you let the time go, the time go, it will explode. Mm-hmm. So it's a courageous conversation that has to be had sometimes. And if you have the courageous conversation right at the beginning, there isn't an issue because they
1: might not agree, but they understand. Honestly, I'm, that rings home to me. I was coached by Danny Carey, who was the best coach I've ever been coached by. I know he tried to do his hand in the men's team, didn't go as well for him. But I literally had that same experience in Glasgow 2014 in the final in the run up to this Danny had never selected me and I was like he just doesn't like me he doesn't want me part of his team until he left of course then I got selected and I got my confidence back I was playing great hockey but he came back in as interim um, for for that tournament and there was three minutes left of the final we were playing Australia we were winning 1-0 I just heard his voice booming down from the stands because he used to sit in the stands Karen Karen Brown took me off Put someone else on, and I was like, "There we go, he's back." Doesn't trust me. He hates me. He doesn't want me. He doesn't trust me for the last three minutes of the game. We conceded and end up getting the silver medal and lost on penalties. So I was like, "It was just stewing on me, stewing, stewing, stewing." Sat there, sat there. Anyway, it took me until like the back end of September, after our eight-week break, mm. <laughs> to finally have the conversation, which I probably would never have had. And I think that's why my relationship with Danny was always a little bit like weird, and he doesn't like me because I'd never confronted this. Mm-hmm. perceived thought mm-hmm. in my head mm-hmm. and I finally sat down with him and went into his office and thought I said Danny listen I know you've been gone away but I can't waste another few years of my life if you're if you don't like me or you don't rate me or select me just just let me know because I don't want to waste my time your time or a space for someone else and he just sat there in silence listened to me go off on a rant and he went Sam he was like I rate you as one of the best defenders on the team if not in the world one of the best uh, ball winners in the world in the final of the Commonwealth Games, there was a miscommunication between me and Karen over the radio because I wanted to actually keep you on and shuffle everyone and put Unzi on the back. So we had a back five for the last three minutes to keep it in. And I was like, mind blown, mind but, blown. And since that conversation, me and him had a completely different. Right. Completely so there's different a great conversation, but maybe
2: that should have come from him early doors as well. Mm. As the coach, I mean, I know right? he won't
1: mind me. No, no, no. But about but this maybe maybe
2: book, early yeah. doors when that happened. Whilst he would have been coping with the, the the outcome of the game and all of the rest yeah. of it as well, to actually let you so that that eight weeks didn't happen and and probably you did speak to other players as well and say mm. and all everyone had an opinion about that moment that as a coach we need to share yeah.
1: because that for you is just like oh it was a miscommunication it's happened it's gone mm. for you it was your whole that- world yeah, yeah. Um, um, unbelievable. Because you do, you start stewing and I thought, Ooh. okay, why is he not sat on our table for breakfast? because I'm here. And there you go. And now you've got TikTok, TikTok, boom. And then on the flip side, Danny's yeah. not sat on my table because uh, yeah. he doesn't want to sit with me. So yeah. there was, oh, And you look for evidence yeah. and you'll find Literally. it. Literally. You will find evidence so because your perception, you, you're looking for reality to your perception. That was it. If he wasn't on the table, he didn't like me. If he was on the table, he wanted to keep an eye on yeah. me. Couldn't win. He couldn't win. And then eight anyway. weeks later,
2: you have the courageous <laughs> and, conversation and yeah.
1: the whole, and now all of that perception
2: is blown away your reality switches so when he doesn't sit on your table you don't make it mean that
1: anymore I mean it must be exhausting from a coach's point of view to make sure that every athlete is looked after because that little tiny thing and but here, here on comes the pitch the next that's happened bit, is massive
2: for an athlete but then the next bit with that it isn't possible for me to be the one that connects with everybody so this is where your coaching team and the diversity of a coaching team and in men's sport at the moment they miss 50 percent of what what's out there I would be unbelievably naive and very arrogant if I thought that I'm the one that will connect with all 45 of my athletes. Yes, I want some connection with them. Of course I do. But to be the one that matters, so for you it was Danny, it needed to be Danny for you. Mm-hmm. But it could have been another one that would have just sorted all that with you and said no no no, that's not how it is but and you'd have been really so we all relate to different people so the value of your assistant coaches and how you build your coaching team then at the higher level you go and i know that from a community level it's often just you but then you might not have 45 athletes who are so intense mm. about the world right yeah. so it's true that's what it? Well, it is the, the more, more selected, you go the more yeah. intense it becomes but you your coaching team and how the they relate and not getting upset that they talk to another member of your staff not not you because mm. so long as that member of staff holds the confidentiality but can let you know what's happening it all works so it's a it, that's the next piece on it that you don't have to be the one mm. your ego must get put beside so it's not about you it's about is your function and your environment working properly.
1: So from a community level then Abby how, how does does that resonate with you any of those tough conversations or because I suppose even at like a county level, that's still, regardless of what level you're playing at, you want to be selected and it still means that. Yeah, that yeah. It's, it's the
3: first step to the girls having an opportunity and seeing that they could have a future in that sport at a professional level. And that's interesting cause like in the girls setup up at, at Lynx, there's basically four of us that really lead that and are going to all the games. We've got, when you look at the calendar, looking at about sixty games in a season between four coaches, it's quite a lot. It's very full on, and only only Martin is is actually on the books. The rest of us are casual coaching, mm-hmm. and um, we've got like probably like best part of sixty girls and women that we're managing between the four of us. So it's like a similar, it's intense in yeah. terms of trying to build those relationships. Like the squads are big. It's not all about one coach, yeah, being there for everyone. It's just about us. We, as a coaching team, sat down and started the season and had a lot, this is our messaging, this is how we want it to go. But we're all different and it works really well. If there was two, two coaches that were exactly the same, you you don't have that diversity and you won't get all the players. So, you know, on a game day, there's 12, 13 of a max, there's two or three coaches. We can then have conversations with probably all the girls and anything that's stewing from that one game, it usually gets dealt with, and that's something that we've we've put in that as mine's come in and and done that, and it has made like it's making a difference. You yeah. can see that, that communication.
2: It, it's also I think important that, that thing, as you say, they they're looking at going on further and higher that they start to learn about selection because we don't get picked every time and how we have to support the team when it isn't us that's doing All of those lessons for that age group come from the community first off.
3: You know what, at at that level, the girls are very understanding of it. When we're having these, especially with our 15s and our 18s, we have conversations with them, you know, if they've just got out or they've come off on the field for five hours having a break and they're very conscious of the fact that they might not get selected. And it's probably more the parents yeah. that, that we you struggle with yeah. in terms of actually having those conversations. You know, for 13s, it's developmental. For 15s and 18s, like, it's a national competition. We're trying to put out our best team because we want the girls. The girls need to see some wins. They've had a tough few years at Lynx. They've not had many wins. And they're really doing well now. And it's about, well, we can't just, it's not have a go cricket at uh, 15s and 18s, it is an ECB-recognised competition. We've got to pick our strongest.
1: It's it's it so important. And I think sport's one of those things in life that still remains where actually there is selection. It's how you react, because it's life, isn't it? You're not going to get mm. every job you go for. You're not going to get every boyfriend or girlfriend that you go for. You're always going to get knockbacks regardless of what it is, do you know what I mean? And then it's how you react. Um, I'm going to come back to Lydia Bedford's uh, hair appointment at under-18s in Brentford. Willie, one of the comments on the Telegraph website was that the teenagers that she'll be coaching will not respect her. From a man's, a male point of view, do you see any truth in that or any worries in that? or How how do you feel about that comment?
4: Well, I worked with Lydia at Leicester. I Mm. took over from Lydia. So I know Lydia fairly well. Mm. I know her skills as a coach and I know her knowledge as a coach. And... I think her approach I don't think she will have any any issues with it. I think it will really suit her approach. I think working with the with under 18s in terms of the mate those under 18s need to find their I suppose super strength. Like one of them's going to make it, maybe two of them's going to make it. And I think Lydia is very big on her development and focusing on each individual and how they're going to become the best version of themselves. So I don't think she'll have any problems with that. And I think they've been very clever. They've they've almost put in two coaches there, two new coaches, with, uh, the, his name escapes me, he, I think he was at Forest Green. So he's coming in to work with Lydia. So I'm, I imagine the way Brentford work, they've done a lot of, Due diligence on the appointment, and they'll make sure that those coaches compliment each other. Like, like we were saying, you know, you need the whole coaching staff to be compliment complimenting each other. and Yeah, I, that those comments don't really.
1: Why do you think? Why do you think that age group? Do you think that's a, a really key age group in getting young boys, young men, to then see? the world in a in a greater picture almost because we talk about women in sport women in work just women in general working in harmony with men regardless of what the job is what the role is do you think that's a really key age group then to start introducing gender parity
4: yeah definitely but i think i think over and above that i think the i think generations have changed now so you know i think what worked before and like It was very, there was so little diversity. You know, a young 17-year-old male footballer looked the same, thought the same as any other 17-year-old footballer. I think the world is a completely different place now, and I think having a a male and a female coach working together will be perfect for that group, who will be completely diverse themselves. And the world has just changed, and I think that's that's a good reflection of those changes.
1: Yeah, and I suppose the conversation's always, is there ever going to be a female manager in the Premier League? And I think we're probably still very far off that. But it's it's like you say, it's it's where you start and start making those moves. But there's, I've got a few stats here, and I'm going to get just your general consensus and thoughts on them. So we talk about more women in sport and in different roles. Well, a run repeat report in 2021 found that while there were more female coaches than ever before, 72% of head coaches in women's football so basically the top leagues in Europe and USA, as well as the top 25 ranked international teams, were male. So 72% of those roles were male. And in the USA's NWSL, only one out of the 10 teams were female coaches. And at the end of the recent season at the WSL, only five of the 12 coaches were women. So Emma Hayes at Chelsea, Carla Ward, Aston Villa, Kelly Chambers, Reading, Amy Merrick, Brighton, uh, who is was an at interim, and Vicky Jepson, who's also interim at Tottenham. So that's down to 42%. And obviously we spoke about Lydia, the first female coach to be involved at a Premier League club. And that's at under 18s. For, what do we have to do? Right.
2: For me, now where we're at now, it's not the female coaches issue. It's those who employ the female coaches issue. All right. So it's giving us the opportunity. And it's that level now that needs to be brave and say, they're good enough for the role, so I took the sixteen to eighteen year old boys at London Irish who were looking for Premiership contracts. Exactly the same, similar type role that, that Lydia is doing with the boys, and the two that the head of the academy at the time, Toby Booth, and Neil Hatley, were the two that said, "You're a teacher." and you're a level four rugby coach, this job is made for you. They didn't care less that I was a female. They'd, I'd obviously been coaching in the environment with their um, academy boys going through from 13 on up to 18 already. So they'd seen it, and they didn't care less that I was a woman. And the boys and their parents and everything else were, okay, here we go, and we, we had an amazing time. I had to build the whole thing, I had to set it all up, then I had to coach through, and I was there for about eight years doing that and several boys going on to contracts whatever nobody had an issue with it the boys never had an issue so much so that there was one occasion where we were playing down in in devon and sky sports were coming down to cover it because me being female and what have you and the amount of times that's happened it's ridiculous but and i i just explained to the boys the night before i said look they're coming down to ever because i'm a pe- female coach and one of the boys went what female coach we don't even see you as female and then he went oh my God, don't mean that badly, oh no, no, that's the ultimate compliment you can pay me. There didn't gender, it's people looking in. Is there an argument
1: to be made? And I'm not saying that I agree with this argument. So people will say, well, actually the men's and women's game, regardless of what sport, are two different beasts. So if I put it in a hockey example, the female game is very much, there's a lot of passing. We do different presses to what maybe the men's team might do because physically we can't. You know, run as fast or aren't as strong as the men. Whereas the men's game is very one-on-one, man-to-man marking, beat people for pace. Is there an argument to be made to say actually, well, you know, they're coaching in the women's game, which is completely different to the men's game? And we hear it in football punditry. You know, how what does she know about men's football? I, I, I quote. So women's football, it's a completely different game. Is there an argument there? And if there is, how do you get involved in the men's game? from being involved in the women's game to that elite level? Is it a chicken and egg?
2: My answer to that is they're human beings and they're elite athletes and you respond to what the athlete is in front. So from a female perspective, the amount of the... First team players that would come and have a chat with me and tell me stuff about what their performance blocks were, but would never mention to the men's coaches because they felt that they would be perceived maybe as weak or, or not you know mentally tough enough or what have you. But once I, they gave me permission to share them, we were able to sort those blocks out for those mm. players, and then they start to perform on the field. So the diversity and it's that's not pigeonholing in that women do that stuff we're all different as coaches as well so you can have a male coach with very what people perceive as female characteristics and in in their coaching and likewise you can have a female coach that has very can be very male kind of characteristics that you might perceive so we're all different and athletes are all different so i i don't subscribe to that mm. you learn that that kind of stuff about how things are, and yet it moves faster. The game moves a lot, lot faster in the male area than it does in the female. But that doesn't mean that you can't coach it.
1: What about you, Willie? Because football is—it's the one, isn't it? In terms of like people say football is king because the amount of participation, the amount of coverage it's, it gets. Do you feel more pressure being in that sport to marry the two together, as in you being a male coach in a, in a you know female yeah, it's surrounding?
4: Certainly never bothered me. I do think that now that we are getting closer to a generation of players who have been professional in full-time, you will get more female coaches falling out of that because they're better educated in the game because they've spent more hours training, they've spent more hours playing, they've had more experiences with Euros and World Cups and Olympics. So I do think players nowadays, because of the experiences they're being exposed to, will have learnt more and will be able to transfer that across as a coach. So Mm. I think it's just been a little... In football, anyway, I see it as being a little bit patient And just waiting for this next generation of players to see through their their playing careers and become really good coaches. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, like at one point we were 50 50 in the WSL. And then, in fact, no, I think at one point we were eight, four female coaches to male coaches in the WSL at one point. And then there was a couple of changes and it went back to 6.6. Six, mm. It's down to seven, five now, I think. Uh, so it, it's fluctuating all the time and, and I think we've got to accept those fluctuations. And some of these decision makers are, are females. Yeah. So if females are not appointing females...
2: Yeah. No, there's th- issues there too yeah. Absolutely yeah. there are But it, it is the people It's not the level now The coaching is is ready The coaches are ready yeah. They understand the games now They've gone sport now They've been involved in the sport for long enough It is the people now Who make those appointments That have got to be brave uh, and, and I, take
4: risks And I think it's uh, It's about Seed appointing risk. the best person So, so yeah, I, I'm going through a process just now Of yeah. bringing an assistant manager in And I am fairly adamant I want a female that's not because I want to give a female an opportunity it's because I want a female as part of my coaching staff Yeah. and I've been reminded on a number of occasions make sure you appoint the best assistant manager, not the best female assistant manager. I'm, I still think it's really important to have that because I think you'll get that diversity, you'll get different skill sets, you'll get different opinions uh,
2: Which makes them the best appointment Yeah because yeah. you need something that isn't currently there.
4: Yeah, definitely. So
2: it becomes mm-hmm. the job spec. It's not about saying you're better than him or she's better than you, but for this job and what these athletes need, she is better for yeah. them. Yeah,
4: and, and it what the everything. and what the, the staff need as well. Mm-hmm. I think that coach's room needs yeah. another woman. So what's
1: it. your current <laughs> coaching setup look like then? When you say it needs another woman,
4: so so in terms of what I cl- I class as technical staff, yeah. The assistant manager has, has been a vacancy since I came in. And then I have first team coach, who's male. Technical coach, male. Goalkeeping coach, male. And then I have two analysts, one male, one female. So that's why I think the balance is needed. I think we need a woman in that room to keep some of A couple more there bases,
1: yeah. yeah. A couple <laughs> more bases, isn't it? Like different points and experience. Yeah, different it is in terms of what the, what the players,
4: I think, go back to. We always go back to players. what, what the players need.
1: 100%. Okay, so we touched a bit on rugby... Done a bit on football. Do you foresee that changing in the future? Yeah. For example, yourself, I suppose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Go
3: I mean, contracts. cricket, the ECB, they've had a massive shuffle around in terms of their priorities. And they're currently going through the inspiring generations. That's their big thing at the moment. And that's from 2020 to 25. And with that, there's a huge amount of grant funding for female coaches and ethnically diverse coaches. And so, like you said, be patient with it. It's, it's going to come. There's that upskilling in that workforce and in that demographic is happening and it's yeah it's just patience I think we will see more in the future just not right now and it also goes back to you've got to pick the best person for the job and I, I believe that and um,
1: do you think you have to see more females involved in managerial and
3: coaching roles in the women's game before you start seeing more women in the men's game I'd say so you've, you've got a it's one of those I don't want to go like too far down a rabbit hole or anything here but you go you've down got that to, rabbit hole you've gotta like prove yourself I feel like I've got to prove myself and that's even just coaching females I feel like I've got to prove myself but then I'm really lucky where I am at Lynx, I've got two really good bosses who back me and they're always willing to you know to say come and coach lads this week if you want it's always there if you want to do that and I feel like I will I'm thinking this winter I'd like to see more of that I well, um, told you back. Just my own confidence, and I am only a young coach. Like I've only been in, in the county setup this is only my second year, mm. and I've obviously had a lot going on anyway, but I do want to, but I want to feel more confident in my ability. And it goes back to, like, I had volume last year of just literally learning how, working with that many different girls and and actually understanding the sport a bit more, whereas this year... It feels like that volume's come with a lot more learning and I've had the right support above me who back me and so I believe a bit more in myself. You've got to have... If you feel like you are being backed, whether you're a player or a coach, in your job um, by people above you, then you'll feel more confident in your ability and, you know, I can, I can see that they're going to have an impact on my confidence, let alone my ability, so...
1: Yeah, I mean, just I can see you nodding away. Any advice you'd give to a young, upcoming coach...
2: Uh, yeah, number one, to back yourself. And I think, I think the question that you just said around, do we get in the women's game more coaching before the men's? Yes, because the opportunity's there. We are now at the stage of opportunity. So I've totally subscribed to best person for the job, but often the best person for the job could well be a female, but society isn't ready for that yet. That's the problem. So, and that goes back to those people above. But from my point of view, when you, you start out on your coaching journey, is to take as many opportunities as you can to immerse yourself in it and and take that learning and it and, and it's not about having to get it all right. It really, really isn't. In fact we all we now know this and everyone's more comfortable with this that we actually learn way more from our failures than we do from our successes. The way you said, look, I'm I'm only in my second year at doing this that I massively subscribe to is you can't run before you can walk and you're so over that, you know, in, in, in aware of all of that, and you're learning all the time. So now you've been offered the boys thing. Okay, yeah, I will. I'll rock up. I'll just come <laughs> in. Don't make me do too much to start with, mm. but I'm going to rock up. I'm going to watch it. Then you'll find yourself as a natural coach going in and chatting to someone because yeah. you've seen something, and then before you know it. And then the other thing is, is that communication piece. It's, you, you, can never, <laughs> you can never do enough of that. It's, people don't have to agree with you, but they have to know why you think mm. the way you think. That would be my advice, and, and the it, be prepared bit. For, yeah, absolutely. And for yeah. an extra,
4: you'd never, have to leave. yeah, never skip a conversation. Yeah, I think that's so. really important. And I haven't nailed that yet, but I think that's really important. It's like that There could have been a conversation eight weeks before mm, there was yeah. with you. Uh, eight years. <laughs> because sometimes it's uncomfortable. It's very so, uncomfortable. But you put uh, it off, it becomes
2: even more uncomfortable.
4: Yeah, and and we and I think I think earlier than this, Sam, you said it's an exhausting trying to accommodate every player. But if you don't communicate at the start, it becomes even more exhausting because you just create more problems for yourself. So the uncomfortable conversation and I think taking opportunities that will initially make you feel uncomfortable. So the boys, the first five minutes will be uncomfortable and then you will go into coach mode Mm -hmm. and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been really important. You said learning from mistakes Mm -hmm. and admitting them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes admitting them to the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did that this season. I, I made a... Significant mistake at half time against Man City, and it wasn't until afterwards that a couple of the staff went, "Yeah, I did think that at the time." I went, "Well, you've done yourself a disservice and me a disservice by not telling me." Yeah. You've just went, "Oh, he's the manager; I can't challenge him." So uh, I think admitting mistakes, but sometimes you've got to build experience and confidence to actually admit your
1: mistakes. Yeah, I suppose okay. then you're creating the creating the culture, then aren't you for the yeah. others And keep enjoying it, obviously. Oh, yeah, okay, keep yeah. enjoying good it. good advice there. Um, Okay, we're sadly running out of time so last question which is going to be a quick fire one to you all. What's the biggest coaching lesson that you've learnt? You have to
4: make sure the players enjoy it first because ultimately it will make you enjoy it. If you focus on your own enjoyment first, Mm -hmm. there's no guarantee the players are actually enjoying it as well. So I think that that would be mine. make sure the players want to come to training, want to come to work, whatever it is.
3: It's probably similar for me, it's like it's not that long ago that I was playing and I had not some great experiences towards the end. And so I guess my motive for being a coach in that sense is I want the experiences for the girls currently to be better. They've got a cracking opportunity and I want them to feel like they want to be there and they feel like they're learning and they're enjoying it. And I think I've got a lot, probably more mistakes to make yet and a lot of learning to do, but making sure that the girls want to be there and they're enjoying themselves, is just that comes above everything else That's for me. Brilliant.
2: For me, it's about knowing myself and knowing my athletes. So I think when I have a reaction, when something happens, when that moment that you lost the semi, that you lost that final, you had a massive reaction and it meant you stayed in the women's game. When those reactions happen is to reflect on them and investigate them because it's like, why do I feel this way? Why am I angry? Why did that athlete really freak me out when they did that? Why did I get happy about that? All of those things so that you're really aware of yourself so that when things are happening in the environment, you know the triggers that you're going to have and then you manage them better so and then investing that time in knowing the same with my athletes so when an athlete does something it's like yeah that's just what that athlete does in these circumstances or conversely that athlete never does that what the heck is going on so knowing yourself and knowing your athlete
1: oh some brilliant advice there thank you so much for your time for coming on Um, and all I can say is a big 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 thank you You've been listening to the Telegraph Women's Sport Podcast with me, Sam Quek. The producer is Shira Kilgallen and the executive producers are Louisa Wells and Sarah Mockford. For more women's sport content from the Telegraph, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash women's dash sport.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...